Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today, folks, we've got a good one on this Wednesday at LinkedIn Live. We've got Keith Bowers, the founder and president of Biohabitats. Keith, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Kevin. Great to be here. And for folks who don't know, Keith got in a nice run this morning on the beach in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, Keith, we're talking a little bit before uh, before the show about dolphins being one of your favorite animals. And one of the things I just love about that answer is, Keith, out here in San Diego, we are surfing with dolphins. They're right next to us. They come next to us. And it's just, it, it does something to you when you see animals and you get to interact with them in your own habitat because you are in their world at that point in time. And they can take you out at any point in time, but they don't. I want to talk a little bit about habitats today, Keith. How did you get into this space? When did your passion begin for taking care of habitats? Yeah, well, you know, Dad, um, just just to go back on dolphins a minute, just one of the things that our listeners might be interested in is that the dolphins in the Charleston area exhibit a behavior that no other dolphins in the world exhibit. And they push fish up onto the banks of the marshes and then breach themselves on the marshes. And the other dolphins corral the fish, push them up so they can feed on those fish. And it's a learned behavior that only the dolphins within say from uh, North Carolina down to the northern part of Florida exhibit that behavior. So it just goes to show how 
what we still are learning about species and biodiversity, and really that's what biohabitats is all about. It's all about restoring and conserving biodiversity out there. And so we're still learning a lot about that. But to kind of go back to your, your question, you know, I started biohabitats actually right out of school, right out of college back in 1982, a ways in the past, um, with this idea that uh, I, did, I didn't have any idea where it would take me. I had no business experience whatsoever, but I did know that uh, graduating with a degree in landscape architecture sort of gave me this passion to figure out how to apply science, in this case, ecology and biology, how to apply that science to the landscape to begin thinking about conserving and restoring biodiversity and nature and ecosystems. So in a way, I was pretty naive at the time. You know, I didn't have a family to support. I didn't have any bills to pay. I didn't have a mortgage. And so I thought, what the heck? I'm going to give this a try and start this business doing this type of work. And really back then, Kevin, nobody was even thinking about this, right? This was back in the early 80s. And we just started thinking about the decline in the Chesapeake Bay with sea, the seafood decline. And we started thinking about how we were impacting water quality, but nobody really thought about this idea of restoration or ecological restoration. So in some ways, I was this sort of the very beginning of this whole wave of that type of business. And, and you started out probably with this concept, this idea you were pushing super hard, but like the dolphins in this scenario, you know, it's almost as if they're acting as pack animals. They're working together. They're going with a group. When did you realize that, you know, in order to solve this issue, I've got to grow a business and I need other people to buy into this vision. How did you get people to buy into the vision? Tell us a little about those early days. Yeah, you know, it's um, we still believe pretty strongly in collaboration, right? And that we also believe that it, it takes an interdisciplinary approach to do this type of work. So while my background is in landscape architecture and restoration ecology, for instance, on our team, we have fluvial geomorphologists, soil scientists, and biologists, and ecologists, and water resource engineers and conservation um, planners. And so it really takes a wide array of not only those types of disciplines to work on these projects, but it also takes pretty close engagement with communities that we work in, right? And so I think my, my what, what I like to look back on my sort of schooling in landscape architecture what you learn there is you learn how to take all these different voices and viewpoints and put them together, assess what's going on and apply that to the landscape. And so that's what that education brought to me. But I also recognized that I didn't have an education in ecology or engineering. So I really needed to go out and find the people that had that kind of discipline to bring in to be able to perform the work that we do. And, and for people listening to this right now on LinkedIn, they're like, wait, this is a business platform. I thought we were talking about business here. Help us understand a little bit about how impact shows up in your business. Uh, is, it, is it helping with recruitment? Is it helping with engagement? Um, 
tell us a little bit more about uh, the strategy and the impact side of your of your company. Well, I think there's two probably ways to talk about impact. One, one, you know, our mission is to restore the earth and inspire ecological stewardship. So our impact is bigger than any one of us. It's bigger than what biohabitats can do. And so we need not only everybody within biohabitats, but the whole community to buy into that vision to begin thinking about how we can restore degraded ecosystems. Um, how can we protect biodiversity? How can we adapt to climate change? How can we work on environmental justice issues? And so it really, our impact is really looking out beyond what we do as a business per se and saying, what kind of impact do we have on the world? How are, how are, we, how are we protecting rare, threatened, endangered species? How are we providing justice to marginalized communities? How are we um, uh, adapting to climate change? So that's one impact. I think the other impact we have internally, you know, we're, we're a B corporation. We're a, we belong to 1% for the planet. We believe really strongly this idea of, of sort of conscious capitalism, that business, that we need to be walking the talk. We're, we're out there restoring ecosystems, but as a business and how we operate a business, we need to also be really conscious of the idea that, that we want to promote this idea that uh, our culture and the way we interact with the people that work with us and the people we touch every day and our stakeholders have not only a say in what we do, but are a part of what we do and the idea that we're lifting everybody up and not just focusing on say profit, right? I think we've probably heard this analogy before, you know, for us profits like oxygen, you know, you need, you need oxygen every day to breathe, but you don't really think about that at all. And the same with us, you know, profit's something we need to stay in business, but, the, but our mission, our vision is much larger than just making a profit. And so that impact that we have on our communities that we work with and the people within biohabitats, um, that's front and center in everything that we do. And I love these interviews because the, the, um, the normal person watching this right now is like, well, that sounds really good, but what does that look like, Keith? What does that look like? You, you mentioned, how do we walk the walk in our business operations? Because I want to do something like that. Tell us a little bit about your strategies, the things that you actually take action on. Yeah. So a couple of things. Number one, we've been a open book management company from the very beginning. So we share all our financials with everybody in the company. The only thing we don't share currently is salaries or any, any um, you know, uh, confidential health issues, but our books are open to anybody in the company. And that includes our people that work on our construction team all the way to top leadership. Um, so that's one thing. We're very transparent and open book because we believe everybody, everybody, once they know where we stand financially, you know, they can buy into what we're doing. Uh, we have what's called a leadership council. So while I'm the president of the company, we formed a leadership council that includes people from all different parts of the company. And it really, um, uh, your position or your title really doesn't have much to do with whether you 
are uh, selected to be on the leadership council is really, do you have the desire and do you want to learn more about what it takes to lead a company? And so we have fairly young staff on our leadership council. We've also developed what we call an emerging leaders council, which means these are very young staff people that want to learn more about business um, and want to participate in leadership decisions and strategic initiatives. Um, and it's a way for them to get that kind of experience to then step up and be on the leadership council. It's nice. Uh, yeah, go ahead. It's nice to see that you're empowering you know, more leaders within your team and taking this long-term approach to really invest into the next generation of, of leaders within the company. Um, let's fast forward to you know, the grand vision for Keith, for biohabitats as well. A lot of folks within our community right now, Keith, and maybe we've talked about this, um, are, are very much challenged with the prospect of exiting or selling their business. Um, it could be uh, damaging to their brand. Um, take, for instance, your dentist's office, uh, your family dentist's office. You've been going there for 30 years. They sell out to a corporation. Corporation comes in, don't treat you the same way, don't provide you the same service. The hygienists leave the company, um, and it starts to kind of dwindle until it kind of finds a way to reboot because of just the power that it has. What does a successful exit look to you? What does a successful legacy look like to you? Yeah, I think um, very good question because that's front and center and. In, in my stage of the business right now, a, a couple of things. One, historically, we're a subchapter S corporation, um, B, a B corporation. And uh, we have always had a program in-house of internal stock ownership. So uh, we have 30, 30 some shareholders within biohabitats that owns stock in biohabitats. I've always been um, of the mindset that, that if we provide opportunities for people to have ownership within the company, that spurs commitment, dedication, um, and a stake in how well we do, right? So we've done that. Uh, we're getting to a point now where I'm looking um, over the next probably six to seven years to transition out of biohabitats. I'm the founder of Biohabitats. And what we have found is that uh, for me, the legacy is keep biohabitats going for the next hundred years, right? Uh, we've had all kinds of offers come in from uh, like-minded firms to venture capitalists to all, all different types. Uh, and really because we feel that our mission and our values are so ingrained and integral to what we do and who we are, we don't see that as an option of selling out to one of these other firms or other groups. And um, the road we're taking right now, which we're really excited about, is the idea of becoming or uh, transferring over to a perpetual purpose trust which just like Patagonia announced, I think back in November, December, they became a perpetual purpose trust. We're, we've been on that road for the last year, year and a half, exploring that idea. And now we've made a commitment to go forward with that. And so we're gonna transfer over, we're hoping to close on Earth Day of 2023. 
where we will convert from our S subchapter S court to a perpetual purpose trust. And that trust will hold all the equity in biohabitats, but also have a specific purpose to perpetuate what we do in terms of conserving, protecting, and restoring biodiversity, working on environmental justice issues, and working on climate adaptation. It's incredible uh, to hear a new perspective, a fresh perspective, uh, in someone talking about keeping this organization in motion for another 100 years. That's powerful for someone listening out there to hear something like that. It's inspirational. It's going to shift someone's mind to think about, oh, maybe I shouldn't just build to sell. Maybe I should build to last. Uh, my next question for you, Keith, is to have a mindset like that, you've had to go overcome a lot of adversity already. I'm sure there's been points and times when you've wanted to sell. You wanted to leave. You wanted to quit. Talk a little bit about some of those hardships, the adversity that you overcome. What comes to mind when we talk about adversity as it pertains to leadership? Yeah, good question. I think, Kevin, that I've never wanted to sell the company, even, even in the hardest times. And there have been hard times, no doubt, uh, where we have um, had to reduce staff, where we've had to sort of really buckle down and make it through some tough times. And I think if it wasn't for the team that I'm surrounded with, and it wasn't for the ideas of this, you know, open book management. We're all in this together. We're all about, you know, there's two other, there, there's really two other sort of um, what we call sort of organizational morphologies that we adopted at Biohabitats. One is self-management. So we don't believe in managing people. We believe in managing processes, managing projects, but we don't believe in managing people. So you'll never see a, a title of a manager in biohabitats. We believe that people should self-manage themselves, but we also believe in mentorship and advocates and leaders within biohabitats. And so I think that's helped us get through some tough times as well. You know, this idea that we trust you you're responsible and accountable for what actions, you know, you're first accountable to your fellow teammates because without us all working together, we'll never achieve anything. You're next accountable to the, um, your clients. And finally, you're accountable to the greater mission and vision that we have, right? So that's really important in our culture. And again, I think that's helped us get through some pretty tough times. Uh, and then the other thing that, that we really believe in quite a bit is this idea of wholeness. And, and you know, firms, businesses talk about that a lot. They talk about work-life balance. I think working in the field of ecology, you always have to be looking at whole systems. You always have to be looking at, you know, from an ecological perspective, um, systems are nested within one another. They're not this like Venn diagram. You know, and so it's this idea that if we're not, if, if we're talking about whole systems in the work that we do, we also have to bring that back into the office and into the business. So that means, you know, how do we bring what we are at home to work? We're not a different person when we come into work. We're, we're one whole person, right? How do we celebrate diversity and, and inclusion and equity in the company? How do we make sure that we are achieving a life-work balance? And so again, 
I think those kinds of pillars that sort of anchor biohabitats provide that sort of resiliency that when we do go through tough times, we know that people are really in it for the work we want to try to achieve, the mission we want to try to achieve, and people are willing to take some sacrifice to make sure we get through those tough times. I love that. And to stick with, you know, this theme of you know, biology and ecology, it's like a starfish. One of the legs get cut off, it'll grow back. The company will be fine. I really like how nimble the company is, I like how it empowers other individuals. And certainly I'm taking a lot of notes um, as you're continuing to share. Another thing I just like going back to the, the dolphin example and, and how they've been able to adapt. They've been able to adapt to, to find a new way to, to feed on fish in this specific reason. Let's talk about a, micro, a macro level, Keith. How does business need to adapt to survive and make sure that we as a diverse group of people, a system, an intricate system of people can last another 100 years? Yeah, good question. Um, and I think we're still trying to trying to figure that out and learn from that. But I, I guess a couple of things. One is again going back to culture and having a really strong culture uh, is is critically important. Uh, we like to sometimes think about ecology and what we call sort of biomimicry or ecomimicry. How can you know an ecosystem is pretty resilient, right? Uh, and it's interconnected. There's a lot of relationships that happen. It's place-based, right? So all those things we think about when we think about how could that be an analogy for business? So for even, for instance, uh, when we opened up different offices around the, around the United States, we opened them up and we called them bioregion offices because they're a representative of a certain bioregion, not a state, a state is an artificial boundary, you know, like Maryland or Wyoming, there's an artificial boundary around that. But from an ecosystem perspective, there are, there are natural boundaries that kind of define the land and the landscape. And I think the analogy for business is that uh, there are boundaries. There are boundaries in terms of our social and cultural structure. There are boundaries in terms of our economic structure. When we think about where we get, say, um, you know, minerals, how we extract things from the earth, where do we um, get supplies from? I think what we're finding out is that we went through this sort of globalization over the past 20, 30, 40 years. And now we see this sort of contraction back and we're thinking about, oh my gosh, you know, what's happened to our workforce in the United States, for instance, right? And um, how do we make sure that we're providing not only the economic incentives and, and training and initiatives for our workforce here, but we're thinking about how, how has that globalization eroded our culture over the past 30 or 40 years, right? So for us, when we think about ecology, it is place-based. We need to think about how we're consuming resources. We need to make sure that we're doing it in a way that we don't uh, continue to go outside what we call these planetary boundaries, like we've done with climate change, like we're doing, say, with nitrogen, um, what we're potentially doing with biodiversity, where we're 
consuming the Earth's resources faster than the Earth can actually regenerate them, right? And so for us, business means and growth means how do we stick within those planetary boundaries? How do we reinforce and celebrate culture and all the diversity that comes with culture, right? And how do we create an economic system that works to respect nature, to make sure that we're not overreaching from nature and reinforces that whole cultural aspect. And so for us, that's what business means. So as we think about our, our growth and our impact in business, it's really about thinking about those, those things and how we can work within that, that sort of those boundaries. It's, it's, we wanna do good work for the right reasons, right? Sure. Not, not just do work to increase sales or increase revenue or even increase profits. We wanna do work because it's the right thing to do. It'll have a positive impact on the environment. It'll have a positive impact on our cultural culture and social systems. Well, it seems like you've created this holistic impact operating system, if you will. Uh, your intention uh, to restore you know, uh, ecological systems and, and run a business with similar cultures you really just wrap the business model around it and it embodies kind of the, the purpose and the lungs of, of nature and the lungs of your business and talking about profitability. Um, I, you know, I, I think you know, that's certainly exemplifies a, a leader to me and someone who's doing something different and someone who's doing something to lead something better than they found it. And all of this, Keith, what is your definition of a real leader? <laughs> that's a, that, um, I still, I call it a practice like yoga, right? You go to yoga, it's a practice. I think being a leader is a practice. It's a lifelong journey. Um, and I think that a couple of things that over the years, over the past, I think we're 35, 40 years now of being in business. And some of these things I'm sure most of our listeners have heard of in the past. Number one, it's sort of like being subservient to your team members and your stakeholders and your clients or communities that you work in are your consumers, right? That really you need to take a step back as a leader and let other people shine, let them move forward, um, but be there for mentorship and for guidance for sure. And I think that kind of goes back to that whole idea of self-management, right? Being accountable and responsible for yourself, but also providing those opportunities for mentorship and advocacy and guidance. Uh, the other thing that is really um, comes to light in working in ecosystems is we barely know how ecosystems work. You know, we, we've been studying ecosystems now for a hundred years or so, and it's complicated. And I think just like ecosystems, business is complicated. And I think being humble, and recognizing that you don't have all the answers um, and being vulnerable about that is, is really important, right? Uh, and I also like to say that, I also like to use the kind of the term being compassionate, but being competitive, right? That I think to run a business, to be in business, you have to have a competitive streak in you, but it's not, it's not a winner takes all competitiveness. It's a compassionate competitiveness. It's how do we, how do we raise everybody up? How do we raise 
our our team members up? How do we raise our community up? How do we raise our 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 stakeholders? All of that. So um, I think it's how can we all win in that, right? I think also being a leader is also about thinking ahead. You know that uh, it's it's trying to have an eye out there on the future and trying to strategize about where where your business might be going. What are the things you need to be paying attention to? What are the things you don't need to be paying attention to and kind of let go? That's just as important as the um, areas that you do need to be paying attention to. And then I think probably lastly, again, going back for us, it, it's about leading, not managing, right? You can hire people to manage processes and projects, uh, but it's really about leading think that you know there's there's that that to me is the cross well put for keith bowers i'm kevin hours asking you to go out there lead don't manage and always hopes keep it around thanks keith thank you Hey, Relators, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Relators.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.